This is the Leading Second Podcast, where we're on a mission to raise up uncommon church builders and be the kind of leaders our pastors would kill to have on the team. The Leading Second Podcast releases every Thursday morning, so hit subscribe, share this with your team, and let's join Pastor Brandon Stewart for another vital conversation for all of us who lead from the middle. second welcome back to season four of the podcast so glad you're here my name's clark and i'm just here to welcome you to this tribe of uncommon church builders if you lead and you're not in charge this is the place for you and today again we're going to bring you another great conversation uh, from pastor joshua mingle and pastor brandon stewart they sit down and they talk about how to disagree well And man, what a message we need, what a conversation we need to lean into today. But before we get into that conversation, we actually had a listener question come in. So this is someone just like you serving in the kingdom, serving in their local church. And so let's listen in to this listener question. All right. Well, I'm talking here today with Matt from Nashville, Tennessee. Say what's up to everybody, Matt. What's up, y'all? Y'all. Hey, it's good to have you on the podcast today. Uh, Hey, uh, love what God's doing at your church. Why don't you tell everybody uh, what you do at your church? Yeah, I uh, I'm at Zill Church in Nashville, like Pastor Brendan said, and I'm the online campus uh, coordinator. So anything as far as uh, streaming on Sundays, so streaming services during 21 Days of Prayer, really falls under uh, my team. Big deal right now. Big deal. So thank you for for what you do. And I'm sure you're probably figuring it out every week like all of us are. In, in yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you sent in a great question uh, that I thought would really help uh, some people for us to discuss today. Yeah. Um, so since I've stepped back into leadership, into this leadership role um, at Zill, after really taking off a few years of being in ministry. Um, I've had some PTSD like symptoms that have flared mm-hmm. up from previous church experiences and in situations, um, which those situations and experiences have both been reconciled. And uh, my question is today, today is how do you fight through those PTSD like symptoms um, so that you can really continue to, to follow the call of God that ha- that he has on your life? Such a good question. And man, I am certainly not the expert on PTSD. Uh, but um, I mean, what you're what you're talking about is 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 a version of church hurt, you know, and, and how do you I, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but basically, how do I deal with my church hurt and not projected onto future relationships and whatnot? Mm hmm. So I have a thought for you that I thought would maybe maybe help us to, to for us all to consider as we're walking out this season, which has a lot of vulnerabilities to it in terms of of opportunities to experience hurt. This is a thought that helps me greatly. And the thought goes something like this. In ministry, there is a difference between playing hurt and playing injured. Any athlete knows this. There's a difference between playing hurt 
and playing injured. And of course, we use the picture of an athlete because we're called to run our race with perseverance, as the writer in Hebrews chapter 12 says, run our race. And so we we see that the, that the picture of us in our in our Christian faith is one of, of, of running the race and finishing the race. And so every athlete that's in the race knows uh, there are going to be times where you are hurt and there are going to be times where you experience injury. And it's vital, I think, Matt, that we know the difference between those two. Every athlete is going to get hurt. Every person in ministry is going to get hurt or have the opportunity to get hurt. Getting hurt just means you get a little tired. You get a little sore. You know, you get a little weary. I have had my pastor confront me sometimes where I'll be honest, it smarted for a few days, you know? And of course I can trust the wounds that come from that because they were only there for my benefit and correction, you know, and, and discipline, but discipline hurts, you know? And, but what I've learned is it's okay to play hurt. It's okay to get back in the ring and ice it a little bit, you know, get some right counsel around you, get some right people around you to tell you to keep going, you know, help you kind of, you know, get that area of your heart or your soul back strong again. But then there's, there are moments where we can actually experience injury and injury is different. Injury is not something you want to play through. You know, every athlete knows if you get injured, you need to get out of the game temporarily. You need, you need, you need to take a rest. You need to seek outside help. You need to um, have surgery, whatever. You, you need to deal with the injury because if you play on an injury or attempt to play on an injury, the injury can become permanent. And we certainly don't want it to be permanent. And I, I think I wanted to say that, Matt, because it's the people listening today would be experiencing a wide variety of things. And sometimes there's no one answer that helps everybody. Some of you are experiencing hurt that is not life-threatening. It is not, um, it's not going to risk you further injury. It just smarts a little right now. And it's okay to to stay close to Jesus, stay close to white wise counsel, but but play through the hurt. But you may be experiencing a very real injury. Like you mentioned in your question, you had some closure to it. Well, that was probably part of the surgery to the injury. You, know, you probably needed uh, to have that in order to heal from the injury. So I'm just offering that to everybody to say, let's let's learn how to classify the two and learn how to appropriately respond to hurts and injuries that we will experience in ministry. Ultimately, I believe Jesus is a healer and I believe that he wants his, his kids serving in ministry, healthy, strong, you know, running with endurance. We can run with endurance. Hebrews 12 says, because Jesus endured, he faced the cross. That couldn't have been easy, right? You want to talk about someone who could have PTSD, you know, you talk about our savior who died for us on a cross of gruesome death. So, I mean, there is healing and freedom in Jesus for all this. Um, and I believe that he can heal and restore anything you know, that the enemy has tried to bring against you in ministry. Yeah, that that's so good. It's, it's really, I think, taking those feelings and those symptoms in this situation, even though it's a new church, it's new leadership and um, it's new mission and values that you're so connected to. It's like, okay, am I projecting something onto yes. this situation from previous experiences or I'm, I'm actually yes. experiencing an injury in ministry. Um, so yeah. I thank you so much for sharing that. 
Well, yeah, and let's just say one more thing really fast. It's important when you're in a new environment and you've experienced hurt or injury in a previous environment, it's really important to operate only on fact and not on assumption. We operate on assumption so often in our life, if we're honest. Our our minds are brilliant at filling in the gaps when we experience uncertainty. The problem is the gaps that our minds fill in doesn't have to be accurate. <laughs> it just has to fill in the gaps. And so we can operate on assumptions so easily. Operate only on fact. Ask your if you're if you're feeling that the sting rise up in you and it's and the injury hasn't actually happened from that person, ask yourself. Am I operating on assumption or fact right now? What are they actually saying to me in this moment? And I I think God will give you wisdom on how to help sort through some of that stuff. So great question today, Matt. Thanks for being on the podcast with us today. Yeah. Thank you, Pastor Brandon. That was awesome. love that we're getting started off with such great conversation already. So if you have your own listener question, I would love for you to reach out to us through social media or or through our email and let us know what your question is. So you might be featured on one of the segments in a future podcast. But without further ado, let's jump into this conversation for the rest of our podcast about how to disagree well with Pastor Joshua Bingle and Pastor Brandon Stewart. Well, hey, my friend, good to have you back on the Leading Second Podcast with us. Say hey to everybody. Hey, what's up, everybody? Glad to be here. I love you. Love you so much. I love your voice. We were just talking for a minute before we pushed record today, and um, I had an epiphany, and that is that in our friendship, I'm I'm just the dumb one because you're the smart one. And I just I just realized it. And it's it's a still smart a little bit from it. Like it's a painful realization when you realize your friend is brilliant. You are smart <laughs> in all the ways that I'm dumb. That's not very many. The, there's, so, few, there's been two incredible things happen to our church, the Holy Spirit and Brandon Stewart. Oh Lord. Lord. I'm not kidding. I tell that to everybody. So I our love fest do. continues. No, I love you so much. And you know what I love about you the most is you have been a student of this season that we're in. Little disclaimer, we're going to kind of go straight into this season today. Um, I'm done talking about COVID. We're not talking about COVID, but let's, but let's be honest. Um, We're leading in a new reality. I think it's starting to settle in across, you know, the body of Christ like it did for me. Um, sometime maybe last fall that I think we're in this for a while. Like, I don't, I don't think we're out of this season. This is not, you know, 2020 turned into 2021, which is probably going to turn into 2022. Thanks, and, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think you'd probably echo that, but I, don't you think as leaders right now, um, not only do we need to get a little comfortable, but we need to learn how to navigate this well in this season. Oh yeah. Yeah. It unearthed a lot of things in us. I think God and his, in his providence used it to unveil a lot of the fissures between us. And so we're gonna have to, it's a, the, the game changed in some ways. It's the same in most ways. The mission's the same, Yep. you know, going to all the world, make disciples. That's all the same, but um, the way we're navigating it is, is really important. Before we get in, uh, are you excited about the future of the church? Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, I in, in a world full of instability and um, sadness, like we, we have turned despair into a right. virtue, you know, like 
faith, hope, love are the theological virtues. And we've turned, we've turned uh, doubt, despair, and license oh, gosh. In, into virtues. virtues and right. so w- th- how encouraging is it that the consistency of the church is still going to be there and all the inconsistency and like, we are going to be the stable thing in culture. Uh, yes. I am. So, the future of the church is so bright. Amen. I, I, I have never agree. been more excited. I just recorded another episode this morning that'll be on after this, I think. So probably like preview here, but um, I was talking to one guest about uh, the idea of just enjoying God, like getting back to joy, you know, joy unspeakable. Um, you know, we, someone said it at team church conference, you know, we, we, we all, many of us in our church churches have this phrase somewhere slapped on the wall, you know, love God, love people, serve the world or change the world or something like that, you know, or reach the world. And, um, but let's be honest, the way we've behaved, uh, before this season was probably more reach the world, love others, love God. You know, you know, we woke up every day. How do we reach the world? And, and it feels like, I mean, I'll, I'll take ownership of it. I, I, I think there were days I woke up and I had forgotten my primary purpose is to love God today. And that's enough. Glorify him. Yep. So yep. anyways, right. we're in it. We're here. Um, the season is unique. So today we want to tackle a really big question that I know I battle regularly. Um, I think you have some really good language around about it now. And that is how do I disagree? Well, because Lord knows the opportunity for it is everywhere. And I want you to start by talking to us about this idea that it feels like to me, our generation has developed an inability to argue or confront anything in a right way. Would you agree with that? Oh, yes. Yes. I was watching a show yesterday that was on at my house that um, my wife was watching and I walked in on it and I'm like, these don't act like you don't like the bachelor. Oh, bro. I can't. I like leave the room. <laughs> they do. They do nights, bachelor nights. And I'm like, I'm going to go for, for the record. I've never seen one episode, but but I'm just watching these people and knowing, you know, that we were going to talk about this today and I'm what they're just they're when they confront one another, it's just an inability to, to, I know. Ar- to argue it's if anybody has a counterpoint, it's, I feel attacked and I need, I need to go somewhere else because you're attacking me. Yeah. And it's like, no, I just have a different idea than you do. Yeah. And, and we are called like, Paul has a very clear theology of arguing and like scripture tells us the psalmist says like, come let's reason together. Like yep. this is a, this is a time that we're navigating leading through where we need to, we need to we need to be able to argue well. And I Chesterton yep. joked one time that he hates quarreling because it gets in the way of a good argument. And I think we shy away from arguing. We think arguing is not a Christian thing to do, but it's because what we're really defining and what we have experienced and we're watching is not arguing, it's quarreling. Yep. And we're not called to quarrel, but arguing for sure. And there's a difference in arguing and quarreling, as we see in Paul. Like arguing is mm-hmm is reasonable. Like we are, we are after truth. I'm trying, am I trying to prove a point or am I trying to make a difference? Am I trying to uncover truth or am I trying to score points? Arguing is reasonable and quarreling is very emotional. So good. Like we're not, we're not really after truth and arguing. Like I can argue a point and if I'm after truth, I'm willing to concede 
when when someone has an opposing view that is true, hundred percent. If I'm arguing, I'm willing to concede that. Wow, you know what? You're right. But if I'm quarreling, it it just gets very emotional. Like I don't, we don't do a good job in this day and age of separating our ideas from our identity. Mm. Like ideas are our personhood in this cultural moment. And so when you have a counterpoint to my idea, we take it as an attack on our identity. This way, I feel attacked. It's not an attack on identity. Your identity son and daughter of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, your identity is firmly founded and grounded in your imaging of God and your ideas are passing away. Totally. And I feel like we, we, we put this on our generation by asking them to self-actualize and become, become the better you and the inner you, you know, your truth and getting all, we, we attached people to these certain ideas about themselves as if they are truth. And then now we, we can't divorce ourselves from them or we lose our, our semblance of truth. Um, and I, I think one thing you, you're talking here about arguing versus quarreling, which is such good language, by the way, I think something that really shuts me down in a conversation that I've been bothered by, maybe you'd agree with this. I really get shut down when, and this has actually become just one of my red lines in a conversation where I won't go any further. Um, that's when the conversation gets to a point where someone feels the need to assign motive. So it, in other words, to keep the conversation going, you have to you have to assign a motive to me. You're just saying this because I was I was recently in a a comment section I shouldn't have been in, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I was there, and um, I basically got called a sexist, and I thought, okay, hold on, hold on a second, like. You could probably level a few things at me like accurately, like probably be a little ouchy if you call me an anti-vaxxer or something or like, 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 okay, there's probably a few things that, but, but sexist ain't one of them. Like not on the fruit of my life, not, not on my character. And, um, and, and that was the point where I shut the whole thing down. I said, okay, I'm done. You, 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 you've hit my red line. We don't, we don't assign motive to two people to make points. Um, but I feel like that's really prevalent right now. Yeah. And that's, that's a hallmark of quarreling is that it's personalized. You make it personal and arguing is depersonalized. Like, like we're here to argue an idea, not your personhood. But when we don't know how to do that, quarreling turns very personal. It's emotional. It's personal. Arguing is charitable to the other. You're trying to understand the other side quarreling mm. is suspicious of the other side that that gets back to assigning motives like these are cognitive derangement syndromes yeah talk, let's talk about that for a minute you were actually showing me some some stuff um some data and such on how the world is actually better off than it has been for the last 200 years i mean by major metrics yeah, ever in history, the world is better than it's ever been. Basic access to basic education worldwide is off the charts. Access to healthcare is off the charts. Child mortality rates are lower than they've ever been worldwide. People living below the poverty line are it's lower than it's ever been. Like there are fewer people living in extreme poverty now worldwide, not just in the West, but worldwide than ever. Zero people on the planet live in a colony right now. Everyone has hmm. self-governance. Like by every major metric, the world is better than it has ever been, but you would never know it 
because right. of the way that we quarrel with one another, especially in the United yep. States. Well, and so then you look and I, I think one of the most puzzling things to me has been you hear off the chart stats about let's just take Gen Z or even millennials for that example. And, and the, the high rates of depression, suicide, you know, all this stuff. And I'm thinking we live in a better, more connected world than we ever have, you know, with more wealth and luxury than we've ever had. And the metrics you just mentioned. But then you showed me some data about how our world is actually more deranged <laughs> than it's ever been. Yes. Yeah. And this gets into the, the to how to disagree well, because the world is is literally this is not like in the playground sense, but in the clinical sense, deranged, like cognitive derangement syndromes. These are these are actual like diagnosable things. There's there's 12 of them in this in this data that we have that are things like catastrophizing and dichotomous reasoning, disqualifying the good emotional reasoning, fortune telling, which means I have a kernel of data. I'm trying to predict the future from this data, labeling people, magnification, um, uh, mind reading. This is where you get to assigning motives, mind reading, overgeneralizing, personalizing, and using should statements rather than are statements. Like the mm. world is this. We say the world should be this. Mm. And you know, while there's some merit to that, these are these cognitive derangement syndromes are up almost a factor of eight to one over a hundred years ago. Hmm. And so like when we're, when we're trying to argue ideas, this is important for teams because church teams, especially because you are going to disagree on things right now. And, and if we don't recognize what's going on in our world, we don't realize how much of these we fall into like catastrophizing. Let's take like, you know, masks for, for instance, right. You're having a disagreement on your team about it you catastrophize things. Well, if you wear a mask, it's because you're a sheep of the government and <laughs> we're all going to be living in gulags. Right. Or if right. you don't wear a mask, it's because you hate people and you want everyone to die. Everyone yes. will die if you don't wear that's catastrophizing. Yes. yes. The reality is somewhere else, yes. but that's where that's what that's we're quarreling because, because we're deranged dichotomous reasoning. That's, you know, you love your neighbor, so you wear a mask. And if you don't wear a mask, you don't love your neighbor. Exactly. That's dichotomous reasoning. Exactly. There's all kinds of nuance to this conversation that we can argue and we can reason together. That's but so we good, are Josh. stuck quarreling because we don't know how to argue. And so we don't actually make any progress because when the quarreling starts, you know, we back out of the car. I need to go take a breath. I feel attacked. Yep. You don't understand me. And everything gets so personal rather than you know, a question to ask is, am I trying to uncover truth or am I trying to prove a point? Like so good. We need to be so as God's good. great church in a world that is, that is clinically deranged where it's better than it's ever been, but you would never know it. We could be the last bastion of actually teaching the world how to disagree yep. well by arguing it. Arguing is humble. Quarreling is arrogant. Arguing is secure enough to walk away with the relationship intact. We're quarreling is insecure such that it's responsible for dividing relationally. Like you can't come over and see your nephew unless you're vaccinated. If that's right. where you want to draw the line, go for it. Praise God. But just, just recognize that there's a lot of division. Go, you have to weigh out what's most important to you. Right. Very nuanced conversations that we can't just assign motives. We can't predict What's going to happen in the future? We need to be charitable toward one another. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well said. Which 
it's something that I've found myself, you said it better, but something I feel like I found myself saying in coaching to people is if when you go to make a comment in a meeting or a post online or even a point in a message that that a room is hearing and you have one person in mind that you're hoping will hear this, that is the wrong point to make or at minimum the wrong setting in which to make it. Because that brother or sister has offended you, and you are, if you're a believer, you're now responsible to go to them, not to take pot shots at them. And so I, I've just often found myself telling people if you're thinking of one person when you post and you're hoping they read it, I'd delete that post. Yes. Just go have a conversation with them. And I think the same is true on the flip side. If you're hoping that they see it so you can make a point against them, or if you're hoping they see it so that they will like it. Yes. Score points, not just against people, but with people. Yes. Check your motives. You might just be fearing men and not God. You also have another point that you've made when I've heard you talk about this, which is really great and helpful. And that is the difference between non-believers and believers. Why don't you talk about that for a second? Yeah. I think that's another area where we need to take a good, long, hard look in the mirror because Paul disagreed he had different priorities when he was disagreeing with non-believers than he did with believers. Right. And he had this, this, you know, two, two of the major metaphors he used for believers in scripture were soldiers and ambassadors. And he talked about being soldiers against ideologies and principalities and powers and rulers in high places. But then he said to us that we have, we are ambassadors of heaven and we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Mm. So he seemed to be, he seemed to be of the belief that, you know, we are soldiers against harmful ideologies and ambassadors toward people. Whereas I think a lot of times in the church, we have become friends with our ideologies, which turns people into the enemy, flip-flopped mm. it, mm. to where we're no longer soldiers against harmful ideologies and principalities and powers. It's the person who believes that harmful ideology that we have turned them into the enemy. Yep. And that's very often with non-believers. Mm. And like Paul when he disagreed with non-believers, his primary mission and his primary um, uh, sermon to them was always the gospel. Like when it was a disagreement with non-church people, when you disagree with some world worldly ideology, and I'm not saying you don't make arguments for good ideologies. I'm just saying you would do well to ask yourself the question, am I a soldier here or am I an ambassador? Is this a non-believer or is this a believer? Because if it's non-believers, like in Acts 17, Paul disagrees with, you know, he is grieved in his spirit by the idolatry in Athens, Mm. grieved in his spirit. And what grieved him was idolatry. And so what he, but what he starts talking about is Jesus and the resurrection. Mm. So he didn't combat idolatry right off the bat. He starts talking about Jesus and the resurrection and people are like, what is this curious teaching that you have? Mm. And he starts talking about who created the earth and everything in it and why you were created. And he, and he makes this beautiful case for, we don't serve a God that was made by human hands. Like we serve a God who made everything around us Mm. and he gets to repentance and you need to repent. And he makes this beautiful case for the gospel. But what grieved him was idolatry, but they were non-believers. They, they weren't, it was not the church that, that was worshiping these idols it was the non-believers in Athens. So when he disagreed with them, he kept the gospel central. Now, on the other hand, when he disagreed with believers, 
we see this in the Jerusalem council when he has to confront Peter. And he's like, Peter, uh, when James is in town, like you eat all kosher. When James and the Jewish boys are in town, you eat kosher. And then as soon as they leave town, you're like bacon guy and you're just crushing pork for breakfast. <laughs> like why and, can you maintain Paul, Paul, when it came to believers, he wanted to maintain the unity of the spirit. Beautiful. Yes. So the primary thing disagreeing with non-believers was the gospel. The primary thing when disagreeing with believers was maintaining the unity of the spirit. Romans 14. I love pastor mm. Kevin's been leading with this, that Romans 14, Paul talks about matters of conscience. Like, can you maintain the unity of the spirit, Roman church? Because some of you think it's okay to eat food sacrificed to idols. Some of you don't. And if it violates your conscience, you better not do it because anything not done in faith is sin. But you must maintain the unity of the spirit. Don't let these disagreements, he says, destroy the work of God. And so I think that what we need to ask ourselves when it comes to disagreeing, because these are some of the questions that we're wading through in teams right now. And they're dividing people about masking policies and vaccination policies. And, and these are very difficult conversations that we need to be having. That's why we need to argue well. It's reasonable, depersonalized, charitable, humble. And we need to ask ourselves the question, like, can I maintain the unity of the spirit in disagreement? Mm. Is this a hill that I'm willing to die on? And I think we're just dying on way too many hills right now. We are taking cues from the world and everything is the most important thing. And so nothing is actually important and people are stressed out and they're anxious and depressed because they're, they're under the weight of the world that is telling them that everything is the most important thing. And you need to die on every hill and you need to have an opinion about this and you need to fight this fight. You need to fight that fight. And you just, you just weren't built for that. You weren't built for that. So well said. One of the most helpful things uh for me over the last um maybe like nine months since last fall maybe 12 months whatever it is is i finally came to terms with the fact that um we're gonna be in this for a while and that's just not like a statement you know like we're not going back to normal and you know all those things that people are saying that's not that that's actually based on a couple of books that i read a teeny bit of study that I did, but basically our nation, I don't want to get into it because I could talk for an hour just about it, but our nation, uh, and the cycles of our nation were due for a recalibration. And so we've actually entered a period of that that happens, you know, um, roughly 80 years. Um, and it's, it's here and it's upon us. It's actually makes our nation quite predictable in some ways. And the book I'm referencing, which is not a full recommendation, but it helped me with some of this language is the book, uh, the storm before the calm by George Friedman. And it, it basically, when I got my head around the fact that we're going to be in this for a bit and he, he shows science and data and history to, um, kind of point to, you know, why he makes the predictions he does, that actually gave me a lot of peace, realizing it's not my job to get out of this season. It's my job to get better in this season and grow through this season and hopefully become more potent in this season. Yeah, great. That brought me tremendous peace. Like, I don't want to get too like COVID on the podcast like we promised, but the day I 
the day I stopped trying to enter or win the argument about when we're going to beat COVID and pretty much assumed I'm going to get it multiple times in my life. It's here to stay. And it's now my job to realize that 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 is now a factor in our world that didn't exist before, but both for my health, for my children's health and for the, the, the functioning of our world. Um, I, it just brought me peace, I guess, to kind of reconcile some of that rather than living with this constant catastrophe looming next week, you know, kind of a thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's very good. I've co-signed. I have no other thoughts to add to that. That's perfectly said. And I think just, just, um, that's why I think as believers, if we're people of faith, like if we believe what we say, we believe. If, if, if the Bible is true and it's life to us and the Holy Spirit is truly at work in us, we should be able to be people who have, who, who have peace in the middle of the storm, who, who can persevere well under trial. You know, you know, we, we should have a sustaining grace about us that, I, I, I just, I see, I do see it some places, but I don't see it in enough places, enough believers who are constant in the middle of the storm. And I, I think your, your words today, Josh, are so helpful because I'm hoping that some believers can find some peace and contentment in, in this season. The Elevation Worship song, Jaira, has probably meant the most to me in this season, both with, with personal things that have gone on with us, with having a premature baby and all that added on top of the rest of all of this, um, the, the line, I will be content in every circumstance meant has meant so much to me because I feel like I've, I have found Christ once I got out of the fight and got into peace and contentment. And then when I do try to reenter, it's like I reenter hopefully with more of Christ in me rather than, um, just trying to win the argument that everyone else is picking. Yes. Yeah, that, I think that's an important point because what we're not arguing for is for you to detach yourself from reality and pretend things aren't difficult. Right. What we're advocating for is maybe one of the greatest gifts the church could give the world right now is arguing well mm-hmm. and, and knowing how to do it when we are when we are wrestling through big, big, big questions as a culture, showing them what it looks like to be reasonable and depersonalized and charitable and humble and and secure and rather than emotional and personal and suspicious and arrogant and and insecure. So you've given us some great language today. Um arguing versus quarreling. I know that was someone's word today. I think you've also helped us with realizing um who we're talking to, believers versus non-believers. Really, really helpful. Let's talk for just a minute before we wrap up about moralizing versus demonizing. Yeah. I love your language on this and and maybe just unpack that for us a little bit more. Yeah. This is something that's been a bit of a wrestle for me. I actually just found language for it probably two weeks ago. And I talked to our staff about it that I'm seeing a lot of moralizing right now, um, especially among believers, moralizing things that in my estimation, Jesus didn't necessarily moralize. Right. And so I cautioned our team about moralizing because when you moralize, you also demonize whole mm. swaths of people that you may unintentionally be demonizing. So what I mean by is you say, if you say this XYZ thing is a moral issue, I'm not telling you not to say that. I'm just saying, be very careful. And if you have a conviction that it's a moral issue, pray through it 
ask the Holy Spirit for guidance. But if doing something, taking a vaccine or not taking a vaccine, wearing a mask or not wearing a mask, or those are just, we keep bringing those up because that's what's in the national conversation right now. But if those are moral issues to you, I just want, I want you to be aware that when you moralize, you also demonize. And this comes back to dichotomous reasoning, all kinds of things that you just better be really sure that it's a, that it's a moral issue. I think a lot of things that we're moralizing are actually matters of conscience, according to Romans 14. And so I've cautioned pastor friends recently about um, saying, well, here's a biblical response to this. Right. Okay, great. But be careful when you say that because everybody's saying that right now and they're all landing in different places. Yep. So what's happening is that our ideologies are showing. And then we say things like submit our ideology to scripture, which we need to. And then we all land in different places. Like, so your ideology is there and be careful when you're moralizing things because then you're assigning motive and you're trying, yep. you, you are saying to people that if you don't do this, it's because this. And this is the only way to do it because it's the moral thing to do. This is what Jesus would do. Jesus would do this. Jesus would hang with sinners. So I need to go be over here. Jesus would eat with these people. And so I'm being like Jesus and you are not. Yes. And that we must be, there are things that are moral imperatives in scripture. So I'm not saying don't moralize. I'm just saying, I'm seeing a lot, we are hyper moralizing things, which the flip side of that is that we're hyper demonizing a whole bunch of people unintentionally. I don't think we're trying to demonize people, but when we moralize something, we're demonizing a whole swath of people that we actually love and probably agree with. But our moralization, the flip side of that is demonization. And there are things we need to moralize in scripture. There are moral imperatives in scripture. And so we need to be okay with the fact that the flip side of that moralization is demonization. Yep. Like that is a real thing, but I'm just watching with grief in my heart. Um, a lot of moralizing things yep. that, that maybe don't need to be moralized. That doesn't mean don't have a conviction about it, but be careful when you turn a personal conviction into a corporate mandate. Yeah. Um, that That is a tricky line. We get into pastoral issues again there. So I'm not telling pastors who are listening, or if you're on team and your pastor moralized something, I'm not telling you to fight and argue. Right. I'm just saying when you moralize, you demonize. And I cautioned our staff that be careful what you're consuming on social media, because if you're consuming things that are moralizing issues, just be aware that what you are yep. feeding on is it, that is yep. going into your spirit. And so be very cautious in what you're feeding on, because then it's playing out in how you're arguing, how you're wrestling. So just my caution to us here in this segment is to just be aware. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm telling you to be aware of what I'm seeing in in culture, trying to give it a name for you and help you navigate it well. Well, well, this has just been a constant tactic for years. Um, I really, and I think the fruit, the fruit of this tactic by and large has been deconstruction. Uh, if you, if you want to judge a tree by its fruit, um, of picking out an isolated instance of Jesus doing something and assigning it a moral value that may or may not be true to the whole council of scripture, you know? And so the whole Jesus, Jesus hung out with sinners in a lot of people's argument and line of thinking turns into welcoming sinners into our church, which then, which then turns into 
accepting their lifestyle, which turns into not challenging their lifestyle because of course they're on their, their own authority, you know, and then all of a sudden we have a toothless gospel, you know, that can't speak to anything because all because Jesus sat in a room with, with sinners and, and it's not true to the whole council of scripture, which also has Jesus telling some of those very people go and sin no more. Yeah. Um, but we don't like those five words. And so we, we, it, it's, it's just the, the fruit, the fruit of the Jesus. Well, well, Jesus was like this. I I've heard it argued for vaccines. I've heard it argued for masks. I've heard it, you know, how, how Jesus would wear a mask or, you know, whatever. And, you know, at the end of the day, maybe let's talk to him about it when we get to heaven. But until then, uh, building, uh, an ideology on assumptions, very dangerous, um, when you're not considering the whole council of, of scripture. And um, I think we've made a lot of those points today. I, I, I love your thoughts on, on um, and, and Pastor Kevin's thoughts on your conscience guiding you as well, because obviously there's a room for the Holy Spirit to work in that. Yes. And then when in matters of conscience, when we disagree, can we maintain the unity of the spirit? Absolutely. hundred percent. And I hey. submit myself to the unity of the spirit in my church, in this mission, because that was a big deal to Paul when disagreeing with believers. Great. Well said. Hey, before I let you go today, um, I've said it often about you. You're, you've just been such a great student in this season. So give us the Josh Bingle hacks. Uh, what are you reading? Where are you going to right now that is helping you stay sharp? It's certainly not Instagram stories. So like, like, like where are you going to... Um, to sharpen yourself right now as a leader? Yeah. Um, well, two things I would say. First of all, um, I, I was talking to our staff about this again last week. Um, probably, I think it was probably seven or eight years ago, I was so struck when Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisees and he says, you can discern new moons and seasons and harvests, but you can't discern the age. Mm. And that just, it hit me like, you know, pierce me to the core. Did not our hearts burn within us? Mm. You know, the disciples on the road to Emmaus ask, or when the, when the word is preached and it cut to the quick, like that cut me. And I started praying, Holy Spirit, help me discern the age. I want to discern the age. I, I don't want to be a product of it. I, you know, I want to Romans 12 two, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the right. renewing of your mind. So that by testing, you can discern what is the will of God, the good, pleasing and perfect will. So first off, it was a prayer that maybe some of you could start praying. Holy Spirit, help me discern Beautiful. the age. Help me, help me cut through all the noise. It's like the word problems where it's like a train is going northbound to Pittsburgh at 50 miles an hour and it's the color is red. And like, what did they serve in the dinner cart? You know, mm. and you're supposed you have to part of what they're doing is helping you cut through all the noise and all the different things to see what's the actual issue here. And so maybe that's something you could pray. Mm. And then a good practice, I think, I think um, for a lot of us, reading an old book means like reading C.S. Lewis. You know, that's like, you it's know, beautiful. 80 years old. There's actually tons of wisdom from Scripture. The doctors of the church, you know, have given us incredible, Gregory of, of Nazianzus, um, Augustine, uh, you get any anything post-Nicene, is, is so helpful for framing up our theology. Um, you get Thomas Aquinas and Summa, you get Anselm, um, read, you know, Reformation guys, and 
you see you see the things that stayed important for 2000 years because we become yes. we become prisoners of the moment and we have blind spots and you got to be careful not to romanticize a particular period of time because they had blind spots also they had different things that they were fighting but when you take not just the whole council of scripture and i i don't want it to sound like i'm elevating um non canonical things to the right. level of canon of course but the church has helped us interpret scripture for 2000 years right and when we go back and we read and we can see heresies like you know the councils from the 4th century to the 8th century what are they combating what are the heresies that were popping up um you know the the Josh Bingle hack is not really a hack because it's a prayer and then it's just diligent study. Great. And there's not like I wish I could tell you a um, go read this person or go follow this, this blog posts, everything that you need. It really is just asking the Holy spirit and then great. And then reading the wisdom of the church that has so much beautiful wisdom to give to us. And it helps us navigate the season we're in so that we don't become prisoners of the moment. I love you, my friend. Thank you for your voice. Thank you for being a student. Thank you for helping us. Thank you for working hard to put language uh, to things for this season. It means a lot to me and I value you. You're the best. Love you. Always a pleasure being on here. I appreciate you and what you're doing and how you build churches. And you've helped build ours so well. So Yeah, it's an honor. We'll talk soon. All right, man. information check out leadingsecond.com follow us on instagram at leadingsecond and join us on the leading second collective on facebook